0: This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3072 for Tuesday, the 12th of May 2020. Today's show is entitled The Joy of Piptools and Pi NV Virtual NV and is part of the series A Little Bit of Python. It is hosted by Clacky and is about 24 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is. How to manage your dependencies and environment isolation when developing in Python. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to Archive.org forward slash donate. For the last year I've been working full-time as a Python web application developer and I learned many things along the way. Now I knew Python the language and I've been using it for the better part of a decade but working with build scripts and other automation that I was doing earlier and working on an application that is going to be developed by maybe one core team and then other temporary contributors and which could be deployed in multiple places, automatically installed and has a large set of dependencies. That's quite a different thing. Then you not only need to know the language, you also need to know the tooling around the language and around all of these other concerns. Uh, So there's, there's two main things that are really important. First, is the dependency management. Um, I have an application, I need these frameworks and uh, libraries to make it work, and they in turn have their own dependencies that make them work. So that all needs to be handled, especially when you start upgrading things or otherwise playing around with different versions of things. And the other thing is you want to be able to develop these things in isolation. So maybe I'm working on the latest version, but there's a couple of days older version running in production and there's an issue there. I wanna be able to check that out and not get a conflict between what's installed now in the development version and what's installed in production. And maybe I have several projects running. Each project could have its own set of dependencies or it will have its own set of dependencies. And between two different projects, those dependencies might be in conflict. So you need to be able to isolate different projects from each other. This is something you always want when you do application development. doesn't really depend on the language, but the tooling is different for each language. Um, and when you handle requirements, you want to handle it in two steps. First of all, there's the requirements that I want. We are using an application. It uses framework XYZ, and it needs to be version 4 because uh, that's the API we're developing against. But then there's the dependencies of XYZ itself and the dependencies of those dependencies. That's the set we call the transitive dependencies. And when we are developing on our level in the application, we don't really care about these other Dependencies because we don't program against those interfaces. But when it comes to troubleshooting, we want to be able to pinpoint where something is different because, be, between this thing that is working and between this thing that is not working. Uh, it's well known that a common developer excuse is, hey, it works on my machine. And you want to be able to avoid that. If it works on my machine, it's supposed to work on your machine. So if I just say... I'm depending on XYZ version 4. and Maybe you have version 4, and I have version 4.1. Or maybe we both have version 4.1 exactly, but your version 4.1 depends on some other package, version 3, and maybe my XYZ version 4.1 depends on that other package, version 5. Because, you know, maybe you installed your packages Thursday last week when uh, XYZ's dependency was released at version 4 and maybe I installed mine this week on Tuesday and then maybe this dependency version 5 was out and XYZ pulled in that instead. So what you do is you define both. You say, here's the stuff that I want and here's the stuff that that happens to mean today and that's a snapshot of the situation right now and that means if everyone installs from this same snapshot of versions of all the dependencies and transitive dependencies then if we ignore configuration and other such variation right now then at least in terms of the software that is running if it works on my machine it should work on your machine as well. And if I run into an issue you should be able to reproduce that issue on your machine. Let's call that first set of direct dependencies the abstract dependencies and let's call the very detailed locked down to each version of each transitive dependency let's call that our locked dependencies. Now some people say that if you develop a library, you should use abstract dependencies. And if you develop an application, you should use uh, these locked dependencies. But I disagree, both are required, whether you are de- uh, developing an application or you're developing a library. Because one describes the set of situations where this thing is supposed to work, that's the abstract dependencies, like. According to all the documentation that we have, if you use version 4 of XYZ with our library or application, it should work. And if they break something, they should call it version 5. But then there's the locked set of dependencies that we have actually verified and which we can use to reproduce an issue from one system to another. And here comes the fun part. In Python, there is no standard way to have abstract dependencies and lock dependencies. And here's where this distinction of application versus library comes in. So what people would do traditionally uh, would be to say that, okay, I'm developing a library and in my setup.py, which is the project description that you need to have to be able to upload your package to the python package registry in my setup.py if I'm developing a library I should say a range of versions of my direct dependencies because then someone who depends on my library and depends on some other library needs to be able to allow the package manager to figure out a set of dependencies that fits both of those dependencies. And then people who develop an application would say, well, I want this application to always install the same versions of things. So they might have a lockdown set of dependencies in their setup.py. And then there's requirements.txt. And that's what people would use if they're just developing an application internally and they're not really looking to upload it anywhere, so they don't need to have a full package description. They just want some executable documentation that says here's what you need to install in order to run this thing. So what they would do would be to develop the application, install packages as they need them, and then run pip freeze with output to this requirement And pip freeze just looks at what packages do I happen to have installed and dump that. And that's not really a way to manage a list of dependencies. So I started looking around at, okay, if there are no standard tools that can keep an abstract set of dependencies and a locked set of dependencies, what other non-standard tools are there? But before we go into that, let's talk about the other part of the uh, deployment and development problem. So we had this list of dependencies and how to manage that. And then we also have... I have multiple applications that I'm developing and they each have their own set of dependencies. So how do we isolate them from each other? And the way you do that in Python is you use virtual environments. A virtual environment is basically a directory that is a small, fake, complete Python installation with Python and packages and everything. And uh, when you are in virtual environment you install packages and you act as if you would be installing them globally on the system but actually they're confined to this directory it doesn't involve any kernel level containerization or anything like that it's not a real virtual environment in that sense it's just a Python virtual environment like we pretend this is a system installation but actually it's contained to this directory okay when I started my research, I found two tools that seemed like the tools that people are using. And one was Poetry and the other was Pipenv. So I looked at Poetry first because it was supposed to be this uh, modern thing that addressed several issues with Pipenv and with other tools. And it uses the uh, standardized pyproject.toml, which is where you're supposed to put tool settings these days in Python so that you don't spread it out over several different uh, files, non-standard files. So I don't quite remember why I didn't like poetry. On paper it looks very good, uh, but I think I felt like it was too big a tool and it tries to do all kinds of things and I really just wanted something to manage my requirements. I didn't need a tool to handle uploads to PyPI, the package index, and I didn't need to have a project specification and all that. I just wanted to go from list of abstract dependencies to list of lock dependencies. Uh, so uh, I may have run into some other issue also. I don't know. But I, anyway, I left Poetry behind and I looked at Pipenv. Pippin does pretty much what Poetry does, except that, it puts its package requirements in pipfile instead uh, which is also a toml file it's just named pipfile because pyproject.toml didn't exist at the time and when you generate the locked dependencies that ends up in a file called uh, pipfile.lock poetry puts it in poetry.lock so not in pyproject.toml and i used pipenv for my own personal use but I didn't want to uh, have to convince others to use this tool or that tool I just wanted to have this simple requirements.txt that people can just pip install r requirements.txt and just get what they need and all this other sophisticated stuff I felt was too much to try to explain to maybe someone joining the team temporarily to, to just add some feature or some external contributor. But then I learned from people on the Fediverse that what pipenv does internally is actually it uses pip tools. Pip tools has a command line tool called pip compile, which just takes, either it reads setup.py or runs setup.py and gets the requirements from there, or you can feed it a requirements.in file, which is just a list of lines which would be parameters to a pip install command, and that's your abstract dependencies. And then it outputs a requirements.txt, which is your locked dependencies. And that's also just in pip install argument format. So it's all really neat and readable, and people who have been using Python know it and understand it. No TOML files, no built-in virtual van management, and just one text file, and you generate another text file. So uh, we went with pip tools and pip compile for uh, all our projects. So that's the dependency management. Just use pip tools. Very simple. And uh, what about the virtual env management? Well, you could do it manually. Uh, just uh, python-m virtual env, which is an external package, or python-m venv, which is the built-in functionality in Python 3, but it may or may not work depending on which version of Python, several different uh, versions of Python break the venv functionality and you might have to use virtualenv anyway. So Anaconda, which we use at Office uh, is one example where venv doesn't work and you have to use virtualenv instead. So you can do that manually. Uh, Python dash d- m virtualenv and then directory name and then when you want to use that virtual environment you source directory name slash bin slash activate and then when you're done you deactivate and these commands will put the right Python on the path and make sure that all the packages are handled within this confined directory but this is a little bit annoying so there are several different uh, ways to manage your virtual environments. First of all, it could be nice uh, to have the virtual environment not be in your project directory. It's very common to create a virtual virtualenvv inside your project directory, but then when you run some uh, static analysis tools or you search for things, you might end up having this huge set of dependencies that you're accidentally running analysis or searches on. So you wanna keep it outside and then the path becomes longer to type. So then maybe you create some alias. And uh, so some people use something called virtual env wrapper, which basically allows you to have a global set of environments. And then when you want to work on your project, you just type work on project name and that activates that particular virtual environment. Now I had already been using pipenv so even though I left the package management behind, I just ignored that there's a pip file in there. I still use the virtual env management of pipenv. So you can do pipenv shell, then it creates a new shell. And in there, now you're in the virtual environment for Python, or you can do pipenv run, run some command in that virtual environment and then come back to you. Uh, so you don't have to activate and deactivate and you just uh, confine all that to a subshell that runs this virtual environment. And then when you exit, then you're back in your normal world. Um, But even that, just running pipenv shell became a little bit annoying, Uh, especially if you're jumping back and forth and now I need to fix something on production, or now I need to run this script over here. You have to exit and then pipenv shell somewhere else. Uh, So in the end I looked up how to use pyenv and pyenv virtualenv and I'm I'm very satisfied with the result of that. So what pyenv does is it's a manager for different Python versions. Uh, So you can use it to install these different Python versions and then you can also use it to switch between them. So you could use Python 3.6 in this directory and you could use python 3.8 in another directory and it has a file that you affect using uh, just pyenv local and then name of one of these python uh, versions that you have installed and then it runs it writes the name to this dot python version file in the directory and it doesn't hijack the cd command or, or anything like that it's just that you put the .pyenv slash shims directory first in your path, and it has files there for any Python-related command you might want to run. And if you install a package, it adds the scripts of that package to the shims directory as well. So that when you run a Python-related command, in reality, you run the shim from pyenv, and it looks up which Python version am i supposed to be using now. It could be the default version, or it could be something specific for this directory. And you can also even specify a specific version for this shell session. So you could say right now I want to use Python 3.5, and then you can do that in that shell. And when you exit, that preference is gone. So that's pretty neat. And pyenv virtualenv adds virtual environments to this and a virtual environment then becomes just like another Python in the list of Pythons that you can define. So you can say pyenv virtualenv and then which Python version you want to use and then name of a virtual environment that you want to create. And then you can say pyenv local name of that virtual environment and now when you are in that project directory and you run Python, that means you run Python that belongs to that virtual environment. If you're somewhere else, then you run Python, it means your system Python, for example, or whatever Python you have set uh, in your PyEnv preferences or for this specific shell. So you have a lot of flexibility here. Installing PyEnv is very easy. You just clone the PyEnv repo to your uh, home directory, slash dot pyenv and then installing pyenv virtualenv is very simple too you just clone that repo into dot pyenv slash plugins slash pyenv virtualenv and then to activate them you put three lines in your uh, dot bash profile so first you need to add pyenv bin to your path and then you run pyenv init dash and eval the results of that. And then you run pyenv virtualenv init dash and you evaluate the results of that. And that's all in the installation instructions for these packages but I also show it in the show notes. Now I mentioned that we use Anaconda in the office and we have our own installation scripts for Anaconda that configures it with our internal Uh, CA certificates and all of that stuff so I don't use pyenv to install Python versions but it works well together with anaconda so I can just do conda create uh, dash p and then I point inside pyenv slash versions and I create a Python version there using anaconda instead of using pyenv's built-in functionality and it just works so that's pretty neat. And from that point, I can use pyenv to create virtual envs for the Anaconda environment and switch between different Python versions and virtual envs in different directories, even though they come from Anaconda originally. So oof, that was a lot to unpack. And there's a lot of fodder here for more episodes, but I think this is good enough for today. So I think I owe you a show on, Just reproducible builds. What does it mean? How can we make sure that runs on my machine? It's not an excuse anymore. That's a whole episode. And when I'm working at home, or well, when I'm doing my hobby projects at home, I don't use uh, PyEnv or any of these things. I use Nix. And that's also a whole episode of its own. How do you use Nix together with Python? And then, of course... Now that I mentioned setup.pi but actually setup.pi is deprecated and there's not really one standard to replace it quite yet. There's a bunch of tools that do what setup.pi used to do. There's poetry which not only handles the dependencies part but it also handles the, the project definition part. And one tool that I have come to like is Flit. I've used it in the office to package some things that we actually want to package to install them from somewhere else. Flit is very lightweight and only does what you need it to do. Uh, So that's worth the whole episode of its own as well. And also when you are handling all these environments, you're installing packages and all that, in the end you want to test this in a reliable way and make sure you didn't make any human mistakes so that the tests you run locally are the same that the tests you run uh, on for example Jenkins and for that there's a tool called Talks which is also worth an episode of its own so I'll you a whole bunch of shows we'll see when I get to them uh, my name is Clacke. you can find me on the free social web as klacke at libranet.de and until next time this has been Hacker Public Radio You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HPR listener like yourself.